0: You can keep your Bibles open there at Revelation 21 as we come to study this passage today. Uh, Thinking about a question that really we've been looking at in previous weeks already, but focusing in on this question today, what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? If there is one question that both Christians and at least some non-Christians often ask, perhaps it's this one, what will heaven be like uh, statistics would suggest that even among people who do not call themselves Christians, a sizable number of them do believe in some form of afterlife, some form of heaven. Uh, but even Christians aren't exactly sure what heaven will be like. Uh, and we need to appreciate, just as we begin today, that whatever heaven is going to be like, it is where the church is going to be. Heaven is the place. That Jesus has provided for his chosen people, the church, and for no one else. And it's important to keep that fact in mind today, friends. The Bible does not teach, Jesus does not teach that heaven is where most people will end up as long as they're not too bad. That's pretty much the the view of most of our friends and neighbours who aren't believers today. That you just have to be really, really awful to end up in hell Most of us are good enough. We're not that bad. We're going to end up in heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And what we see here in Revelation 21 and throughout the Bible is that heaven is the ultimate home for the people of Jesus Christ, the church. And it's only if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and if you've stated that publicly and gladly and uh, part of that Involves, in in the vast majority of cases, with very few exceptions, it involves then committing yourself to the, the visible public church of Jesus Christ. Only if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ can you have the hope of heaven. That being said, in Revelation 21 and 22, we're given several pictures to help us understand what heaven will be like for the church and for those who are there. We've already considered one picture of heaven in recent weeks in Revelation. We've thought about the picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb, that that heaven is going to be like a wedding celebration. Uh, We can all identify with that. We've been present at a wedding uh, and we celebrate with the couple, with the bride and groom and and it's just a joyful occasion and and Revelation has shown us that 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 uh, that's one aspect of what heaven will be like. And then we have thought also about the fact that heaven is coming to earth. That, that this whole creation is going to be made new. And that's not just a, a picture in Revelation. Uh, that's what the rest of the New Testament and indeed the Old Testament teaches as well. Uh, that heaven is coming down to earth. That this whole creation in which we live is going to be, be made splendid and beautiful and vibrant and perfect. We're not going to be floating around in the sky dodging clouds like some sort of ghostly spirit beings forever. We're going to live down on this planet in resurrected bodies forever. Well, today we want to consider two more pictures as we have them here in Revelation 21. Two more pictures to help us answer the question of what heaven will be like. And again, these pictures emphasize to us that heaven is to be the home of the church, the chosen people of Christ. So let's look at these two pictures that we have today. And the first picture we have today is that heaven will be like a city. Heaven will be like a city. And it's important to emphasize the word like. Because again we are dealing in symbolic picture language. But nonetheless look at verse 10. Look at Revelation 21 verse 10. John says, The angel carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. I've said in previous weeks that you can sum up the book of Revelation as being a tale of two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. And having described the judgment of Babylon, of the world, in previous chapters, we focus in here in the end of Revelation on Jerusalem and the glory of Jerusalem. The bride of Christ. And again this is not to be confused with literal Jerusalem today. <coughs> the city in the, modern, in the modern day nation state of Israel. This is spiritual Jerusalem. This is the future church made perfect. All together reflecting the glory and beauty of our bridegroom. The Lord Jesus Christ few things to notice about this heavenly city. First of all, we notice that it's a vast and complete city. It's a vast and complete city. In verse 10, the angel has to take John to a very high mountain so that he can properly see this city because this city is absolutely enormous. Look at verse 16. It says, the city lies four square its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. This city, friends, in John's vision, is gargantuan. It's a perfect cuboid. Boys and girls, maybe in school you've, you've done uh, uh, these sorts of shapes, you've covered how to Measure the area of a shape and so on. So, you know what a cuboid is. It's exactly equal in height and length and width, but it's absolutely enormous. It's enormous. If you were to take the measurements here literally, (coughs) if you were to take it literally, this city would have a perimeter of almost five and a half thousand miles. Five and a half thousand miles. And so again, it's better to understand that these measurements are symbolic. They're, they're symbolizing something for us. And all throughout the chapter, you see the number 12 or multiples of 12. 12,000 stadia, 144 cubits. The city has 12 foundations. It has three gates on its four sides with 12 angels guarding them. The number 12 and the multiples of 12 Symbolize completion. Completion. All through the book of Revelation. And so we're not expecting friends. That someday the literal city of Jerusalem. Will grow to have a perimeter. Of five and a half thousand miles. The vision is telling us. That in the new heavens and the new earth. The church is vast. And it is complete. Heaven is going to be full of people. The church is not just a tiny little fragment of the historical global population of mankind. The church, friends, is to be made up of countless numbers of people from across times and places and nations. You remember a different picture we had of it back in Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. Uh, there it was described as a multitude that no one could number. The city of the new Jerusalem, the church of Jesus Christ, in its completed, resurrected state, will be vast and complete. As well as being a vast and complete city, we see that it's also a secure city. It's a secure city. Now verse 15 tells us that the angel who showed John this vision has a measuring rod in his hand. We also see that language of a measuring rod in the equivalent chapters in Ezekiel. Ezekiel. But the point of the measuring rod is not just to inform us of these vast dimensions of the city. It also tells us about the security of the city. It's been measured out. It's been planned. The architect and the builder of this city is God, as the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 11 verse 10. And in God's planning and building, there are no mistakes. There are no weaknesses in this city for enemies to exploit. This, of course, was the problem for the actual historical Jerusalem. It stayed secure for many years once David conquered it and made it his capital city. Uh, But eventually, the enemies of Israel did conquer it in God's sovereign timing. And you remember the story of Nehemiah. We we looked at some of it briefly a few years ago when, when John Coulter was with us. Uh, And how Nehemiah gets word of the state that Jerusalem is in as a city. That that it hasn't been rebuilt and Nehemiah is heartbroken. He's told in Nehemiah 1 verse 3. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. And what was true of Jerusalem's physical state in those days. Was also true of its spiritual state. It was a a broken city. But this vision of the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem emphasizes the security of the city. Verse 17 says the angel measured the city wall and it was 144 cubits. That's 216 feet or 66 meters. Uh, commentators differ over whether this is the wall's thickness, which would be, again, an incredibly thick wall that you would never be likely to see constructed, or if this is its height, Again, the numbering is symbolic. It doesn't really make much difference whether this is height or thickness. The point is that these walls are not going to be broken down, they're never going to be destroyed. The city of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is secure forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So it's a vast city, it's a secure city. And the last thing to notice about it is that it's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city. Just notice what it says, uh, notice rather what makes this city beautiful in verses 10 and 11. Look what it says. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. You can look up many, many lists on many different websites or magazines that list for you the 10 most beautiful cities in the world. And it tends to be cities like Rome or uh, I think Kyoto or uh, in Japan has been listed a few times. Um, One list that I looked at had Edinburgh as number four, that was the highest UK city on the list. Uh, But it's very subjective, isn't it? What makes, well, we can probably agree that some cities are very ugly. But what, what makes cities beautiful can be a very subjective thing. Some people might say it's, it's the architecture of, of a city. Look at some of the beautiful buildings of, of cities like Rome or Paris uh, or parts of some of the cities of Asia. Maybe for some people it's the food that some cities just have this great tradition of, of beautiful cuisine. Or, or maybe it's a city known for sporting occasions, great sports teams, uh, whatever it may be. Different people for different reasons will say that such and such a city is a beautiful city. What gives this heavenly Jerusalem its beauty? Well, it's certainly not the physical beauty of its citizens, the, the, the members of the church. Because, no offense, but all together we're a very average looking bunch. Uh, going to church is not like looking at those red carpet events in Hollywood where everyone turns up with perfect teeth. And perfect hair and perfect shape. They've paid hundreds of thousands of pounds, of course, to get those things. But the church, we're just a, a very ordinary-looking bunch. What makes us special, and what will make the church special in heaven, friends, is that we reflect the glory of God. And all this language in this in this part of Revelation is, is emphasizing that this is what makes heaven heaven. It's a place where God's people perfectly reflect his glory. We were thinking last night and see why about the fact that all human beings are made in the image of God and and what that means. Part of it means is that we're to display the characteristics of God. That even here on this earth, even though we're imperfect, we're to show forth what God is like by the way that we speak and the way that we act towards others and the way that we care for our creation. In heaven... We'll be doing all of those things perfectly and beautifully. He uses the word radiance here uh, in, in uh, is, it, is it verse eleven. The word radiance, that, the particular word there, it's only used twice in the whole New Testament. The other place that it's used, we looked at it earlier this year, was Philippians chapter two, verse five. Uh, Paul tells his readers that they're to shine as lights in the world, and it's the same word there. It's almost like the idea of shining like stars. We're to stand out, even here and now in this world, we're to stand out, we're to shine, we're to reflect the glory of Christ. Jesus Himself said that as well. Uh, you remember the words of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said in Matthew five fourteen, You are the light of the world. You think, Well, did Jesus not say on another occasion, I am the light of the world? Well, he did, but he's saying that we who are his followers, we are to reflect his light. We don't show forth Christ perfectly as we should, but we're to endeavour by the help of the Holy Spirit to reflect his glory and his beauty and his goodness to the world around us. The more we grow in grace, the more we get rid of our sin, the more we develop in our knowledge and love and understanding of his word, the more that's going to happen. But in heaven, this will happen perfectly, gloriously, forever. We will be spotless and without blemish and pure and radiant. That's why verse 21 says that the streets of this city were pure gold, like transparent glass. There's been many a song, uh, some good, some not so good songs that have Incorporated that imagery of streets of gold. And again, friends, it is symbolic imagery, language, but it's emphasising to us that heaven is a place where we will perfectly reflect the purity and goodness and glory of our God. In the end, the church will be perfect. Too many Christians today have a low view of the church and if you've been listening at all carefully for the last two and a half years since I became your pastor, hopefully by now you'll notice that this is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Too many Christians in Northern Ireland put down the church. Too many Christians are more excited about their own plans for the weekend or for Christmas or for making money or getting goods than they are about Jesus' plans for the church and for the world. Other Christians today talk about the church as if the church is a write-off. You even get evangelists turning up telling a tent full of people that the church in Northern Ireland is so full of problems that it's effectively ceased to exist. And the only place you can find any truth is by coming along to certain meetings where certain people will speak. The church is facing so much pressure from the world that it's going to disappear. That's the way some people talk today. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. That a, shows a complete disregard for what God's word has to say. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. The church is going to make it. Jesus has said so. The church is Jesus' beautiful golden bride. His, his beautiful golden heavenly city. Jesus is not just going to turn his back on the church. Does the church sometimes feel? Yes. Is the church perfect? Not yet. But friends here's what the church will be. According to Revelation. Vast. Secure. Beautiful. Reflecting the glory of God. And as far as Jesus is concerned friends. That's what the church already is. If not yet perfectly. That's how Jesus sees the church. Glorified. It's as good as done from his perspective. Because he has done all the work. Required for the church to be made glorious and beautiful and vast and secure. And if that's what the church is going to be. And if that's how Jesus sees the church today. Then you and I ought to stick with the church. We ought to keep on serving in the church. Because one day the true glory and beauty of the church is what's going to fill the earth. John says in 1 John 3 verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. We're not perfect yet. The church is not perfect yet. But he says we know that when he appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Because we will see him as he is. We don't see the church perfect yet. But when Christ appears, we will see the the church perfect, spotless, golden, pure. And so rather than complain about the church or put down the church or distance ourselves from the church, if today you claim to be someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, then you ought also to love his church. The famous story is told of Charles Spurgeon's encounter with a man who said, Mr. Spurgeon, i visited so many churches, but I just can't seem to find the perfect one. Spurgeon told the man, Mr. So-and-so, when you do find the perfect church, please don't join it, because you'll only ruin it. His point being, this side of heaven, there is no perfect church. But on the other side of heaven, friends, there will only be the perfected church with her lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus loved the church enough to cleanse her by the shedding of his blood. How much do you and I love the church? How much are you looking forward to this glorious future for the church, this new Jerusalem, the city of heaven? So heaven will be like a city. But the second picture that we have in the passage today shows us that heaven will be like a temple, heaven will be like a temple. Look at verse 22 and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And so we need to understand exactly what is being said there but we'll, we'll get to it in due course. But what's really being emphasized here friends is and, and there's a lot of overlap between the picture of the church as a city and the picture of the church as a temple. Uh, what it says there there's no temple in the city. It's saying that there is there is no restricted area in the city. there is no cordoned off, limited place in the city where you you say that's the place where we go to worship that 's the place where we where we dwell in the presence of God, because in heaven, the presence of God, the place of worship, is going to fill the whole earth. The whole earth, all god 's people, are going to be the dwelling place of God there's no need for these confined areas of worship any longer. In Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, only the priests were able to go into the main sanctuary and only the high priest was able to go into the most holy place and he was only able to go in once a year where the ark was kept. There were barriers all the way between the most holy place and the outside world. Barriers from that to the sanctuary and from that to the outer uh, temple area and so on. The message was clear. You can't just come into the presence of God, whoever you are, wherever you are. There are steps that have to be taken. But in the new heavens and the new earth, friends, with with Christ's church made perfect and glorious, there will be no barriers, no physical barriers, no places where you say, well, over there is where some people worship God. And over here is where nobody worships God. Those kinds of divisions won't exist anymore. The city is the temple. The temple is the dwelling place of the living God. The living God will dwell with all his people forever. This is what the psalmist speaks of in Psalm twenty seventy-two, uh, and, and so this is the, uh, the main thing that we want to notice about this. Heavenly temple, that it's filled with the glory of God. It's filled with the glory of God. And we considered the words of Revelation twenty-one, verse three. Last Lord's Day, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His God. And or sorry, they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. This is the fulfillment of. Old Testament prophecy and covenant promise. I highlighted to you even from the book of Leviticus. That this was the heart of God's covenant promises to his people. I will dwell with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. This is the fulfillment of what we sing in Psalm 72. May his glory fill the earth. And again friends it's the church church. That will reflect the glory of God and enjoy the presence of God forever. The reason that John uses this language of jasper and carnelian and gold to describe the city. Is because ultimately he's doing the best he can to describe the indescribable. The world filled with the glory and the presence of God. Notice the description of the city walls. In verse 19, again, this is speaking to the beauty of the city, but it says in verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, and so on. Twelve beautiful gemstones adorn the walls of this city. And that list of twelve gemstones, friends, there, it's virtually identical To the stones that were worn by the high priest of Israel on his, what was called the breastplate. He would wear this breastplate on his chest. Exodus 28 describes it to us as he went in to minister in the most holy place. And he had those 12 same gemstones on his chest as he went in to minister in the presence of God. It was as though, uh, and the gemstones had the, the names of the tribes of Israel engraved upon them. And so it was as though the high priest, as it were, carried God's people with him into the temple, into the presence of God in the Old Testament era. But in this new Jerusalem in heaven, all God's people are with him all the time. And because we're with him all the time and because we'll be resurrected and transformed and free from our sin, we will be reflecting his glory all the time. Like diamonds or gemstones catching the, the reflection of the sun and, and gleaming beautifully. That's the picture here of the church. Sometimes people say, oh you're, you're glowing because you, or you've got a bit of colour in your face because you've been sitting out in the sun. Uh, probably not something anyone's going to say to us over the next few months here in Northern Ireland. But if you've managed to get away for a holiday in the sun... The evidence is there for everyone to see. They can see the impact that it's had upon you. And in heaven, the evidence that we, are, that we belong to Christ, that we're in the presence of God, will be, as it were, written all over our faces, will be shining like gemstones as God's glory fills the earth. And so this temple, this heavenly temple, will be filled with the glory of God and then, as well, it will be filled with people from across the earth. Uh, it will be filled with people from across the earth. We, we talked about this earlier, uh, about the city being vast and complete, but another way that comes out is in verses 12 and 14. In verse 12, we're told that each of the 12 gates of the city have one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes, of course, being representative of the visible church in the Old Testament era. But then in verse 14, we're told that the city has 12 foundations with the names of the 12 apostles on them. So the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. And friends, this is a symbolic language of the completion of the church. This is Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, people from all across time and history, the completed church gathered together. And it's interesting that the 12 apostles are the foundations. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So. Same picture language used by Paul there to describe the church. But it's the gospel that is foundational. And that's interesting. It's not the 12 tribes that are the foundations. It's the gospel as preached by the apostles. Because, of course, it's that same gospel that saved the the Old Testament saints as well as the New Testament saints. They look forward to the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of God's covenant promises in him. We look back to his first coming. We look forward to his second coming. The gospel is foundational to it all. Look also at verses 24 to 26. By its light, that's the the light of the the, the city, the, the reflected glory of God. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Glory in the Bible, friends, has the sense of weightiness, importance, significance. When Solomon was king of Israel, people traveled great distances. And they gave him the weight of their gifts and their riches. Most famously, the Queen of Sheba did that. And that was symbolic of the fact that Solomon was the greater ruler with the The greater riches and the greater kingdom. And she brought the weight of her riches and gave them to him. Friends in a sense that's what happens when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We give him our glory. The weight of our riches, our wealth, our time, our gifts, our lives. All of it is put at his disposal. And his glory then shines out of us. And that's what heaven is. It's the, the gathering together of the nations to give praise and worship and honor to God. So this temple will be filled with the glory of God. It will be filled with people from across the earth bringing their glory to him. And the last thing to notice about, it, about this temple is that it will be free from the filth of sin. It will be free from the filth of sin. Look at verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Again, that's the language of the Old Testament temple. It was stressed over and over again in Old Testament law. There could be nothing unclean. The the priests had to be thoroughly washed. The sacrifices had to be carefully made. There could be nothing amiss. Uh, And that's the language here of heaven. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is one of the themes, even of these closing chapters of Revelation that focus on heaven. One of the repeated messages, friends, is not everyone will be there. Not everyone will be there. There is no place in heaven for unrepentant sinners. The gold, the jasper, that language of radiance, it all emphasizes the purity of heaven. Everything impure, lies, violence, deceit, greed, sexual immorality, false pagan worship. Everything else will be consigned to the lake of fire, to hell. So again, friends, this is the destiny of the church, a bright, shining city and the temple, the dwelling place of God with his worshipping people. That's what heaven is going to be like. Do you want to be part of it? How do you know that you'll be part of it? Well, one way to know with assurance is, are you interested in these things here and now? All that we've been considering today, yes, they will be perfectly true of the church in heaven. It will be gathered together. It will perfectly reflect the glory of Christ It will worship God free of our sin. All of that will be perfectly true of the church then. But it's to be increasingly true of the church today. The church today is to reflect the glory of Christ. Just as Moses came out of the tent of meeting with his face shining from being in the presence of God. Or it was said of the apostles in Acts chapter 4 that they were recognized as men who had been with Jesus Friends, if we want to go to heaven or or we believe that we are going to heaven, we need to ask ourselves, am I reflecting the glory of God a little bit, even just a little bit, already, here and now, today? If someone was to spend a week watching us as we parent or watching us as we do our work or watching us as we interact with our brothers and sisters, boys and girls... If they saw what we spent time looking at on our phones or how much time we spent in the word, our joy in going to the place of worship, would they see a glow about us? Would they be saying, well, that must be what it means to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Similarly, since heaven will be full of the people of God, do we make it a priority to be with the people of God here and now? When there's an opportunity to pray with them or for them. Or to pray for the nations of France or Spain or South Africa or Europe. Are you there? When there's an opportunity to serve the people of God. Whether to more RP church or the wider church. Are you there? Heaven is where all God's people will be gathered together. If you're not interested in gathering with his people now. Why would you want to do it for all eternity? Since the foundations of the new Jerusalem. Is the apostolic message. The preaching of the apostles. Concerning the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of heaven. How interested are you in that gospel going forward here and now? See friends. The more that these things matter to us now. The more these things are characteristic of our lives now. The more. Going to heaven is going to feel like going home. It'll feel like that's where we belong. It's sometimes been said of some Christians, they're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. Well, if that's intended as a criticism of professing Christians who just spend all their time reading thick books and never bother to actually get up and serve anybody or involve themselves in the church, well, okay, maybe they deserve to be criticised in some way. But a Christian who is truly heavenly-minded will be of the most earthly use because they'll be bringing heaven into their daily lives and into the lives of others here and now, today. They'll love the nations of the earth. They'll love the opportunities they get to meet with other Christians for worship. They'll love to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and reflect his love and grace and goodness to the world around us. The more truly heavenly minded you are. The more the most earthly use you will be. Or to put it another way. The more you understand what the church will be in future. The more love you will have for the church in the present. So what will heaven be like? Heaven will be like a city. A vast, beautiful, complete secure city sparkling with the reflected glory of god and heaven will be like a temple a temple that fills the city and fills the earth where people from every nation and tribe and language bring their glory bring their praise to god the almighty and the lamb do you want to be there do these things appeal to you do they excite you If you want to be there, you need to trust in the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, to cleanse you of that impurity that doesn't belong in heaven, your sin. And if you do belong to the Lamb, you need to get busy serving the Lamb, bringing a little bit of heaven into this dark world until we finally arrive in our true heavenly home. Amen.